ADP knows anything you hear, anything you don't hear, anything you kind of heard, anything you weren't supposed to hear and now have to pretend like you didn't, can change the world of work. From HR to payroll, ADP designs forward-thinking solutions to take on the next anything. I'm Angie Hicks, co-founder of Angie's List, and we help keep your house in tip-top shape. You know, a lot of times I don't always view myself as an entrepreneur because I didn't always think I had the characteristics of an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm not a charismatic kind of big idea person, but I think what it comes down to is really about uh, perseverance and just being willing to move the dirt. And that's what it takes in the early days of a startup. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Angie Hicks, co-founder of Angie's List, talks about what set her small business apart from the start and what it takes to stay true to her vision. Angie, you were the first in your family to go to college. What was that like? I, uh, I tell people sometimes that I was heading down to DePaul University, which is like three hours from home. I didn't have the heart to tell my parents I wasn't actually going to go, that I didn't actually want to leave home. And, uh, and so we loaded the car up and even convincing myself that, well, I don't actually have to stay once I get there. But I do give my mom a lot of credit. She, she quickly said, you know what, Angie, we'll be back for you at fall break and left me with no car and quickly left. And it was the best thing she could have ever done. You started the company that became Angie's List with your former internship boss. How come you think he picked you to be his business partner? <laughs> That's funny. You know, honestly, I think that he picked me because I would just get stuff done. When he would tell people about the internship that I did, he, he will oftentimes say, he's like, it didn't matter what I gave Angie, she just did it. You know, a lot of times I don't always view myself as an entrepreneur because I didn't always think I had the characteristics of an entrepreneur. I mean, I'm not a charismatic kind of big idea person, but I think what it comes down to is really about uh, perseverance and just being willing to move the dirt. And that's what it takes in the early days of a startup. Would you say that's a very important characteristic of entrepreneurs? I do, because, you know, there are many times, you know, I, people will ask me all the time if I'll start another business, and I'm always quick to say no, you know, because it's hard. It's a lot of hard work. It's kind of a lonely endeavor. You kind of, you don't realize how isolating starting a business can be. I think that perseverance is what gets you through those days where you think, gosh, maybe I should just go do something else. How is it lonely? You know, for me, I mean, for me and for a lot of entrepreneurs, you're working alone, you know, I mean, for a lot of time. So, you know, the first year I worked by myself uh, and I was in a strange city. So it was even worse. So I was a fresh college graduate in a strange city working by myself. So, you know, kind of developing my own personal support system was hard to do at that point. So and, and you're measuring your success in ones and twos. You know, if I sold one membership a day, that was a great day, you know, but just as easy as it was to sell one membership, it was to sell zero. And that's where it would get rough. How did you deal with that rejection? So I usually like to do things I don't like to do early in the day. So I did not see myself as a salesperson. It was terrifying to me. I mean, I am, uh, I'm a self-declared math geek. Uh, so I would tend to put the things that I don't like to do early in the day. So, you know, kind of get it over with. And, and I, I treat it like math. You know, it's like I have to go up to bat so many times in order to sell. So I need to make, you know, whatever it is, I need to make 20 calls and I'm going to do 20 calls. And out of the 20, mathematically, I should get, you know, whatever it is, one, two, three sales. And that's just how I treated it. What role does sales play in entrepreneurship? 
you're constantly selling. It's whether you're selling your idea for fundraising, whether you're selling who you are to customers. I mean, you are selling all the time. I mean, you are constantly convincing people that your idea will work. It's always on. So even when you think you're not selling, you're selling. There's a famous story of you crying to your co-founder after some rough patches. What do you say to women who've cried at work? You know what? I've I've been known I it's okay. I think sometimes people get so worked up about the fact that they might cry at work. I think it's honestly just the pressure of the situation and you know different people react to pressure in different ways. I think you know, kind of get through that moment, move on and just leave it in the past. It's it's like I like to tell my kids you got to shake it off. But sometimes I think people get so worked up about the fact that it happened that they make it worse. You know, sometimes you're just that stressed out and it's okay. Shake it off, get your composure, move on. You had said through tears that you weren't going to quit, though. How come? I mean, I have a, I have an incredible sense of, of uh, commitment to what I say I'm going to do. And I had agreed to do this for a year. And while it was, you know, kind of the time that I was like, I was only like three or four months in at the time, I, I wasn't willing to. I wasn't willing to give up. What's your advice for young people who want to get tapped for opportunities? That's a great question. I think sometimes people don't realize when opportunities come their way. Doors open and they don't realize because it doesn't fit their mold, especially young people. A lot of times, all too often, I see people that have their... um, they have their five-year plan. I'm going to graduate from college. I'm going to work for three years. I'm going to go to business school. And then I'm, you know, I'm going to get out, get a great job, get married, have three kids, and life is great. But sometimes when you have that perfect plan like that, you forget to kind of, you have blinders on. You forget to see the opportunities that present themselves. So there was nothing about the opportunity of starting Angie's List that I should have jumped at. In fact, Bill was 100% honest. He's like, your parents are going to hate this idea. You know, there's no job security. I'll raise enough money for, you know, to be able to support you for a year. Um, and I him hauled around about it. And finally, it was my grandfather that, that, you know, that pushed me over the edge. He had lived during the Depression, incredibly conservative, you know, paid cash for everything. And he looked at me and he was just like, Angie, what's the difference between being 22 and looking for a job and being 23 and looking for a job, which, which is right. I mean, you know, you know, having that, you know, so, so in many ways, I should have been a business consultant, but I saw, you know, a door opened and I was willing to take the leap and I became an entrepreneur. Like that was never on my plan. So what's your advice for women who are trying to decide between something more stable and something a little bit more risky? I think it comes down to who you're going to, to go to in the venture with. I, I very highly... I think it's all about the people that you surround yourself with. Less about the idea, more about the people. If you surround yourself with people that take an interest in you and are willing to support you, uh, that that's all that matters. So I encourage you to to think about that. So in my scenario, you know, I knew Bill would be a great mentor. I, you know, I'd worked with him for a year, and I knew he would surround us with good people. And you know, while in fact, you know, kind of starting Angie's List wasn't even our first business idea. Like they, I think I signed up saying we were going to make a media directory for the state of Ohio. Uh, so, so, so back to the, it's not always the idea. It's a lot of times the people. It's like when you know you can do something great and you've surrounded yourself with good people, then you should go for it. And that's first and foremost. On some level, though, the idea I would think is important. And so I'm just wondering, how do you know if you have just a cool idea or actually a viable business? And I think that comes down to testing and figuring out whether it's going to work. Uh, you know, we had the good fortune of having um, a business that we, 
that we copied, actually. So there was a little business in Indianapolis that started in the 70s called Unified Neighbors. And Bill had used that to rehab a house in Indianapolis in the early 90s. And so we started looking around, and it was special to Indianapolis. There was not a Unified Neighbors. There was, you know, which basically would say, you need a plumber, or you check check Unified Neighbors to find out who to use. And we saw that, you know, so that was a, what, at that point, 20-year business model that we actually could see. And so we, so we, had, we had a head start on that. You've said innovation doesn't need to be a big bet. What do you mean by that? I mean, I think sometimes people are thinking about what's the next greatest idea. Sometimes things are really simple. You know, I mean, I would not say that Angie's List was, you know, I mean, it's like we, we were a glorified word of mouth. It's like you ask your neighbor, you know, who to use for a plumber. You know, that wasn't some, like, you know, great technology play. Uh, it was sharing information and consolidating information. So I think sometimes we overthink even sometimes the simplest things can be an interesting business. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. Robert Half is here to help. Our recruiting professionals utilize our proprietary AI to connect businesses with highly skilled talent. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Got a question about finance or business? Then write podcasts at dowjones.com. Please include your first name and hometown. And we may read your email in a future episode. Again, that's podcasts at dowjones.com. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. You've said young entrepreneurs should work on presenting themselves more maturely because it will help people take them seriously. How so? I think I think making sure that you are going to be taken seriously in business is one thing that you just have to work on. I mean, you know, you have to think about how you want to be perceived. Uh, you know, I was 22, you know, and I think a lot of times, you know, that was one of the biggest things that, Early on, one of the one of the folks involved in the company thought I should call myself Angela because I'd be taken more seriously being called Angela. I couldn't do that. That just reminded me of my mother yelling at me. But, <laughs> you know, it's like it, it, it's it's kind of, you know, I think you can kind of do it multiple ways. So it's not just like, hey, am I acting mature? It could just be, am I doing what I say I'm going to do? Am I living up to the commitments? I mean, there is a there's, it's almost like a responsibility that that comes with maturity. You took a time away from the business after it had had launched to get an MBA from Harvard. When you were finished, your co-founder said that the business couldn't afford to have you come back. What did you make of that? You know, for me, that was, uh, you know, I didn't even take him seriously. You know, I, I was close enough to the business that I kind of knew the, I knew the business. I was like, oh, you're just, you're just being too cautious. It's fine. It'll be fine. You know, I, I think I hung up on that phone call and I think he was still saying like, I told her she couldn't come back and, and I think she's coming. And I was like, it's going to be okay. It's we're going to get we're going to figure this out. And, you know, I mean, we'd, we'd, before I left for school, we'd open in three or four markets. So I had a sense for kind of what the business could do. It was a, it was a funny time. And, you know, lo and behold, I got on a plane, showed up and it all worked out fine. Did you think he was trying to oust you from your own business? Not at all. Not at all. Not at all. How did you prepare to have a public persona? It was the public persona came probably less from a calculated kind of choice and more by small decisions along the way, right? We started the business, it was called Columbus Neighbors. And about six or nine months in, we decided to change the name because people thought that uh, you would only know 
that our magazine was everything we had. So if there was no plumbers in the magazine that month, oh, well, maybe it'll help me next month. So we decided to name some version of list. Uh, and, and Angie's list ended up being the chosen one because, you know, Bill's thought was like, well, she's the one that answers the phone. That's who they talk to. Even if she leaves someday, it, the story still works, right? It's like, well, Angie started it. That's who you talked to when you first called. We had a thousand members. Uh, and then it was probably in like 2007 or 2008 when the marketing team said, you know what, Angie, the biggest question we get is whether you're real. You know, why don't you be in the TV commercials? And like, you know, like, I'm just not that. It was not something that I really thought like, hey, I'm going to be. I didn't probably think through what that really meant. How did your life <laughs> change when you became a public person? You know, for me, being a public person has to be the person that I actually am. And I think that's the only way it works. If you can't be genuine to who you are, um, it doesn't work because you're on all the time. Uh, you know, I've been I've been incredibly fortunate over the years. I mean, you know, when people stop me and talk to me, I mean, incredibly kind, incredibly kind. Uh, and that and I think that's because kind of who who you see on TV is who is who I am. Um, and uh, and and I never really would have thought that, like, you know, we were like, oh, you could be in the TV commercials. And, you know, and then it became a household name in the TV commercials. Um, it's a different thing, but it's neat. And, you know, for me, it was really about doing what would be good for the business and, you know, making sure that it that it worked for me personally. I read you give yourself pep talks when you have to give a speech. What do you say to women who might benefit from doing this but feel silly? <laughs> I absolutely have to give myself a pep talk before I give a speech. I mean, you know, sometimes we have to do things we don't always love to do. But I think it's an important part. I think it's important for you to to, to figure out ways that you can get through things that you're not comfortable doing. Uh, and and I do. I will give myself a pep talk. And if I give a speech, you know, during the day, you know, the next day, I might not take any meetings. You know, I kind of balance that. <laughs> I kind of balance that exposure, and that's just you know how I've learned to to manage and deal with that. You said life isn't a choice, and that women can have kids and a career. How did you manage this juggle? You know, I don't think anyone thinks they do it great. Uh, <laughs> you know, because I think a lot of times people strive for something that's not attainable when it comes to that. So, like I call it work life. Uh, you know, kind of work uh, work life. Uh, choice, not balance, right? I, and my husband's been fantastic about this. So he is, you know, he has been a very, um, you know, great supporter of me and the business, but also like, hey, home time's home time. You know, if you're not traveling, you're going to be home for dinner at six o'clock, you know, and dinner is, you know, loosely defined, right? So it's not like we're having, you know, when the kids were little, there was carry out, you know, now I kind of joke around, we, we eat a lot of pot roast in the crock pot, you know, but it's, it's dinner together. Not a good cook, but it's dinner together. You know, so you have to kind of make those choices and, and, and balance, you know, kind of what's important to you. Um, you know, I was, I was told early on in a career, it's some of the best advice I can give a woman um, is no one is going to make your family a priority for you. No one is. I don't care how great your boss is. They never will. They are never going to come up to you and say, hey, Susie, um, are you supposed to be at your daughter's ballet co- you know, recital right now? No one's going to do that. You have to make those choices. Those are precious years. that you And, and I think sometimes people feel guilty about making those choices. But once you, once you start balancing and doing that, um, you'll be amazed at flexibility. I mean, that's the way I've been with my folks. I remember hiring someone years ago that she's like, I want to be able to volunteer at my daughter's school because she had been freelancing before she started. I want to do that. I'm like, 
I don't, I don't, I don't care. Because I knew that like giving that flexibility would be returned. You know what I mean? It was just one of those where it's like I knew if she could be, you know, reading to her child's, you know, kindergarten class at two in the afternoon, you know, she'd probably she's still going to get her work done. I mean, I, I've more often in my career had to had to encourage people to kind of do a little less than to encourage them to do more. And I find that when you give that flexibility, it pays off. Company went public in 2011. I've heard some entrepreneurs say that if they had fully understood the regulatory and reporting issues that are required of public companies, they would have stayed private. What do you think of that? I mean, there is certainly a lot more responsibility of being a public company. I think one of the advantages we had was that our business was old in retrospect. I mean, we were, what were we, uh, 16 years old. <laughs> and had, had venture funding and just had a really good rigor of reporting and kind of cadence and maturity that went along with that before we went there. So, um, you know, as I say, I mean, you know, yes, in a public company, life is very different for, you know, for the, the finance and accounting teams, you know. But in many ways, you know, we really worked hard to make sure that, you know, kind of how the business was run as far as being able to to innovate and to, and to, and to grow and to do what we needed to do kind of stayed, stayed true kind of pre and post. November 2015, Barry Diller's IAC made an unsolicited offer to buy Angie's List, which was rejected. About two years later, Angie's List accepted a lower offer to be acquired by IAC. What's your advice for companies trying to decide when to take a deal? Well, I think you have to you have to evaluate all your options and evaluate where where the opportunity is, and you know and. And in this particular, you know, in this particular scenario, and, and as we were talking with the the IAC team and the home advisor team, it was an opportunity to to see the company, you know, grow, and you know, a good opportunity for, um, you know, for the shareholders to be thinking about kind of, hey, here's 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 how we can kind of take it to the next level by you know combining with our you know next closest competitor. So. Um, it's it's a it's a challenge. There's no right answer. There's no right mix. And I think oftentimes in life, if you spend all your, hindsight's twenty twenty, and you you need to kind of deal, you know, you make decisions based on the information you have, and 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 move on. What's your advice to entrepreneurs who get funding but are having a tough time getting it because their business is located in the middle of the country? <laughs> that's, a, that's a great question. We actually turned down venture capital early on uh, from a venture firm that uh, from the coast that said we would have to relocate because they didn't think we'd find enough smart people in Indiana. So <laughs> so there's a little bit of us that are just like, you know what? We can do this. Yeah. We can do this because, you know what? We're not competing. We're not, you know, we have good schools nearby. We've got tech talent. And we're not having to fight, you know, tooth and nail with kind of every other company sitting there. I mean, as as we evolved, you know, one of the things I enjoyed most is when we got venture capital funding, we ended up getting we didn't end up getting funding from the coast, but it took a while. And what I saw was the firm that invested in us, then also invested in a couple of other companies in in Indianapolis. It's like once they get to know people, they start to kind of build pods around that. Um, but it, it was great in that we could kind of keep heads down, focused on the business being in the Midwest, which I think is fantastic because I think a lot of times um, you can it can be kind of too many, too many opportunities in life. Um, but then by having the venture firms on the coast, they made sure we got to know key people along the way. How did you get used to handling wealth when you came from a middle class background? I think in many ways, I, you can't take the middle class background out of the girl. <laughs> So, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I, you know, and it's something that I think is important. You know, sure, I like little splurges along the way, but 
all in all, you know, my life is a pretty simple life, and I like it that way. What do you splurge on? I love shoes. <laughs> What's the most challenging part of having wealth? Um, I mean, it's just, you know, there's more, I don't know, challenging question. I mean, you know, there's, there's just, it's, life's more complicated. Life's just more complicated, more things to be responsible for. I, I kind of, sometimes I yearn for a more simple a simple life kind of joke around that sometimes you know that middle class background is you know kind of life is simple you don't necessarily know what you're missing or not missing but you know like I grew up and I you know I thought we were wealthy what's the best personal finance advice you ever received um, spend less than you make time now for your secrets I'm Angie Hicks and my money secret is if you watch the pennies the dollars take care of themselves Stay tuned for future episodes featuring fashion designer Nicole Miller and top media executive Joanna Coles. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos with special help from J.R. Whalen. John Wardock is the executive producer. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. What's your secret? Let us know. Write podcasts at DowJones.com or on Twitter. Use hashtag Secrets of Wealthy Women. This episode is brought to you by Vanta. Vanta's trust management platform helps you quickly assess risk, streamline security reviews, and automate compliance for SOC 2, ISO 27001, and more. Learn how by watching Vanta's on-demand demo at vanta.com slash WSJ.